Thank you for listening to the Manage Smarter Podcast. Your hosts, C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong, navigate new ways to hire, develop, and retain talent, helping your team soar to higher performance. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Manage Smarter Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about the economies of scale, big, 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 complex organizations. My name is Audrey Strong, and I am the Director of Communications for Sales Fuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the President and CEO of Sales Fuel. Our guest today has had an extraordinary career in radio, both terrestrial and satellite radio. His name is John Zellner, and man, what an impressive resume you have, John. Thanks for joining us today. I'm going to tick off a few things here about okay. you. He's Executive Vice President of Programming Operations for iHeartMedia, overseeing national programming, sales integration, operations, and communication to oh, just a couple people, you know, 860 <laughs> radio stations wow. in 158 markets serving 271 million monthly listeners, and uh, programming markets for all sizes in every region. Also was the Senior Vice President of Programming for SiriusXM, 100 channels there, subscriber base there grew from 1 million to more than 20 million. And then going backwards in time, CBS Radio, also in Kansas City. And I remember, John, when you were DJing in Columbus, Ohio, where Sales right. Fuel is located way back in the day. Yeah, okay. that was my first real radio job way back in the day. Yeah, the first time. I remember your first fake radio job, which is what, WLHD, Green Radio <laughs> on the East Green of Ohio University? No, my first fake radio job was actually in my bedroom growing up as a child, but we actually had a 10-watt radio station at the high school ah. where I went to New Jersey. So it was a mono station, which meant that <laughs> if, your, if your stereo wasn't compatible, it would be like karaoke. It was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> my engineering was a lot easier then, I guess. Totally. Yeah, more, less wattage than a light bulb. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> yeah, scary. So how do you handle, let's just start with the size and the complexity of the geography and the people and the layers that you deal with. I mean, in general, how can you manage smarter in that environment? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's certainly different than walking down the hall. I mean, when you talk about economies of scale, we do our best to try to put people in positions where they can manage effectively on a local level. We absolutely communicate as best we can, and not only just communicate, but try to explain why we're doing certain things. We have a theory that any company that's been around longer than the internet has an outdated business model. If mm -hmm. you think about it, you know, any company that's been around longer than the internet's probably outdated in the way they do things. Mm -hmm. So if we were going to launch 860 radio stations from scratch in 2018, we would probably set them up a little bit differently. I mean, obviously local radio and local brands are very, very important. It's the, you know, it's the core of, of what we do at iHeartMedia, but, you know, doing things on a technical level in the local markets probably is not as important as it used to be, but we certainly want to make as much of an impact as we can locally and hire the right managers to, you know, uh, who really understand what those goals are and who can communicate and inspire and motivate their teams on a local level. You talked about even something as simple as communication. Tell the story of the two people that were down the hall. This is a perfect example. We have all yeah. these great we techno this, technology tools and we don't talk to each other. Yeah, It's interesting. I mean, we have IM, we have texting, we've got email, 
you know, and I think we've reached a point where people are so lazy about communicating that when I had a team of people at Sirius XM, which weren't really scattered out, you know, throughout the country, we had offices in New York and DC and Nashville and LA, but, you know, for the most part, they were all in a giant room. I, I would see people IMing each other and texting each other and emailing each other. And I'd stand up and walk down the hall and say, please follow me. You know, <laughs> and I would bring them down and say, please, let's talk it out in person. Because, you know, again, I think face-to-face contact is so important. So how yeah. do you manage the balance between, okay, you are a national company, you're an international company, and you want everybody then to, to be in lockstep and singing off the same songbook on the same page. But at the same point in time, it's still local radio. So it's like you don't want to you don't want to lose the local part of the local radio. So it's like you don't want them to all be cookie cutter versions of each other necessarily. So how do you no. manage to do that? Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, again, what we tell clients is that we have national scale with local activation. And if you think about it, it's really hard for a client to be able to achieve that with television stations that don't own all their TV stations. You certainly can't do that with anything digital because there is nothing local about that. So radio, which has been around for over 100 years, is now the number one reach medium in America for the first time in 60 years. It beat television last year. And I think part of the reason of that is that people really relate to their local brands. And a long time ago, when I was first getting into the business, I used to listen to a guy named Scott Shannon, who does mornings here in New York. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. He said, Johnny, if you're in a big market, sound small. If you're in a small market, sound big. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you're in New York, you certainly you know, are not trying to necessarily appeal to the people who live in Manhattan. You want to appeal to the people who live in New Jersey and in the suburbs and the small towns because you know, they really feel like they are part of something big when they hear their community shouted out on a, on a, on a big radio station. If you're in a small market, you want to sound big. And that means you have access to things, you know, in a small town that they wouldn't have a chance to be a part of. So when we have, you know, $1,000 winners locally in small markets or we're, we're sending them to the iHeartRadio Country Festival or the, or the music festival or the award show, that's a big deal in some of the smaller and, and the mid-sized markets. How do you personally keep your head from exploding every day? Is that like a more, can I get any more direct than that as a member of a leadership team? I mean, how do you get your information and know what's really going on with everybody every day? Yeah, I'm a little type A. And I've always <laughs> been a little type A. I mean, I, you know, I think these, yeah. these jobs are certainly not for everybody and there's certainly frustrations, but I, I think that, you know, the goal of any manager is to, is to surround themselves with people who you know, work as hard as they do and want to win as badly as they do. And I think also managers, you know, another thing to keep in mind is that, is that people don't care what you know until they know you care. It sounds trite, but I think it's true. So, you know, for all, all the managers we have, I, I think it's absolutely possible for someone to have a different experience depending on who they work with day to day. But, but for the most part, we want there to be a consistent level of pride that they're working for the number one media and audio company in America. And they have to understand that, you know, even in the smallest of markets that they do matter. And boy, you know, those are just words, right? So 
it's important that we touch as many people as possible. We certainly try to get out to as many markets as possible, but you also have to understand the 80-20 rule, right? That that the majority of our revenue comes from our major markets. So it's it's certainly a balancing act. And and I think that that you want to let people do their job, but you also want them to understand the greater good um, and the goals of the company and how they should reflect that on a local level. So one of the reasons why I'm glad that uh, you, you uh, agreed to join us here today is that you have a lot of employees, if you will, that are remote. And I think one of the things that uh, a lot of managers struggle with sometimes is that remote factor. And, and we're seeing up to 40% of people you know, work from home at least you know, a couple of days a week, according to some of the studies that I've read, and, and we'll have to get the, those into the show notes. But uh, what is some of your secrets then for making sure that you keep the people that are working remotely out in some of the smaller market, like making sure that they're engaged and they're still bleeding the iHeart you know, message and, and the brand? Yeah, I think, well, we certainly, uh, we do all hands calls once a month, which I put together where we, you know, have as many people on as we can without having it be too long. We hear from Tom Pullman on those calls, you know, and myself and and a few of the other members of the leadership team. We certainly recognize wins on a local level. We, you know, have an intranet where you know, anybody can log on and, and everything they need to know is right there from national programming. We certainly want them to understand that the tools they have are extremely unique and helpful. And I also try to put myself in their position when we're sending out any communication, because we want to make sure that the things that we're asking them to do, you know, improve the ratings and revenue locally. But we also want them to understand that our job is to help them save time and not work as hard and work smarter and not harder. And we say that a lot. So, you know, if we're sending out something, you know, that we want them to do, it's either going to help their brand grow, improve ratings and revenue, or save them time. And that's sort of something we keep in the back of our minds here. At your level, you have to be almost like a serial delegator because you're delegating to somebody who's then delegating. It's like three layers of delegating. What, what makes a good, effective delegator? Yeah, it's tough. You know, I think that uh, it's important that the people that you're delegating to all share the same philosophy. Obviously, everybody's different and everybody manages people differently. But, you know, I think the best managers, you know, don't treat people the way they want to be treated. They treat people the way they think they want to be treated. And everybody responds Mm -hmm. differently to management styles and coaching, you know, and I think the best managers manage with love and trust as opposed to fear and doubt. I mean, fear and doubt are one of those things that, that, you know, seem a little old school, especially in today's environment. But I think if you want to get the most out of the team that you manage, you manage with with love and trust and you trust, but verify. And I think that's also a trite statement too. I mean, certainly when you verify, it sounds like you don't trust, but I think you give them the benefit of the doubt, but you certainly hold them accountable, you know? Mm -hmm. And I always tell you know, I have three grown kids now who are entering the workforce and, and my oldest daughter has been in the workforce for five years. And, and I always remind them that, that usually managers are looking for two things. They're looking for follow through and good judgment. And if you have follow through and good judgment, I'm assuming you're going to show up for, for work on time. But if you have those two things, you're probably a lot better off than most. 
how do yeah, you tackle the challenge of being able to uh, show that love and support and caring at same with somebody who is not being accountable, who's not delivering on what their promise was? In your case of programming, and who's not generating the ratings, who are, who's not showing up at the meetings are supposed to be showing up to? How do you balance that? Well, if they're not showing up for meetings, there's obviously something wrong, right? And so, so that's an easy conversation saying, hey, what's, what's going on? Help me help you, right? You know, if anybody, I mean, I think everybody should clearly understand what their goals are from a ratings perspective, a revenue perspective, a digital perspective. I and mean, we, we lay out goals every year and we're realistic. You know, I think in, in some businesses, um, when you're measured on year over year growth, it's uh, possible to look like a hero every other year, mm-hmm. right? If you know what I'm saying? Yeah, you totally. Can, you can kind of coast through for a year, you know, and then next year look great. And there's, there's also some people who sandbag a little bit and say, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna hold back a little bit because I don't want to do too well this year because I'm going to be measured on this next year. That's right. I only want to get a 5.5. I don't want to get a 6 because I'm going to have to get a 6.5 next year. So. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's all relative. I mean, I, I think that anybody... <laughs> you know, who, you know, is coming to work every day, understands the company goals, they understand the local goals, you know, and they either are in it or they're not. And, and I think, you know, when we talk to HR, we certainly, you know, constantly look at the people who want to advance, understand what their goals are. And there are people that are truly engaged. There are people that are not engaged at all. And there are some people that are kind of in the middle and they can be swayed either way. Those are the people that we want to spend a lot of time with because for whatever reason, you know, they feel like they don't matter. They feel like they've been passed up for promotions. They feel however they feel. Right. So I think those Mm -hmm. are the people that you want to focus on, the people that are that you that are lost. You know, it is what it is. Right. So you deal with a lot of egos, obviously. So what's your strategy in dealing with somebody that's that's got a huge ego and sometimes it's not that doesn't hear what you're trying to, to tell them? Yeah. I mean, that's I, a tough one. Yeah. I think I think that that people need to understand that you're an advocate of theirs, you know, and if they don't believe that anything you say is going to fall on deaf ears, right? So so I think that you prove that you're an advocate of theirs by listening, by hearing them, by trying to make adjustments that they notice, but also holding them accountable. So I think it's a there's a fine line between having someone feel like they can take advantage of the system and the people that get energized by being challenged. And those are the kind of people you want. Mm-hmm. I have a question about formats and company culture. So, you know, it's iHeartMedia, it's gigantor. But what, how do you communicate in a way that resonates equally with, say, the Morning Zoo people in Council Bluffs, Iowa, and your team sitting right there in New York City? I mean, or, you know, even different types of employees work under different formats, right? Different types of people. Yeah. I mean, we have brand, you know, so we have brand managers and brand experts who live the lifestyle of all of those brands. Right. And so Mm, I I wouldn't proclaim to be a gospel expert or a smooth jazz expert, but Mm. I think that, you know, every one of our radio stations has very specific target listener profiles. So I've always been, you know, a fan of when you target broad, you make nobody happy. Mm-hmm. When you target oh, okay. narrow, you make everybody happy, right? Because you've got a very specific target listener in mind. So I always say, you know, everything you play, everything you say, everything you do, 
on the air, off the air, uh, digitally in the marketplace is a marketing decision for a very specific target listener. And I also say that, uh, you know, people, uh, people's brands tend to reflect the personality of its program director. So the program director should really live the lifestyle of the target listener. And if they don't, they should recognize that uh, and find people who do and help them, you know, really understand the fabric of the station, how things are written, how they're said. Because again, if everything you do is a marketing decision, it's not just about the music. It's about everything between the music. It's what the morning show says. It's mm-hmm. it's what the announcements and the promos say. It's what the commercials say. It's what everything does on the air. Um, and keep in mind, people have a preconceived notion when they punch into a radio station, not like a television station where you sit and you know what shows are on. Radio is a complementary activity instead of a primary activity. So regardless of when you tune in, you know, your expectations should be met and matched and exceeded. Interesting. I've been attending a lot of conferences lately, and particularly where the radio people speaking, and they use the same term that you used earlier when you described iHeart as an audio company. So <laughs> I want to give you a few, uh, a little bit of time here to talk about how, what that means exactly, and also to, to, just to convince people that radio is not dead. Well, it's absolutely not dead. You know, radio reaches 93% of America, which is the same percentage that it reached in 1970. And there's way more people alive in 2018 than there were in 1970, right? So if you think about that, the fact that we've been able to stay, cons- you know, to stay consistent on the number of people or the number of the percentage of people that we reach is staggering. When you think about all the things that have been invented since 1970, you talk about yeah. the internet, you talk about CDs, you talk about you satellite know, radio, download satellite radio, all those yeah. things. You know, and yet radio is still the place where people go for discovery, for surprise, and for companionship. And those are the three things that really set radio apart from anything else. You know, you know, three quarters of the country still discover you know new music on the radio, which is interesting because there's all of these streaming services yeah. that use algorithms to determine you know what songs people like. And the human music curation is not dead. And so when you hear song on your favorite radio station introduced by your favorite personality, you're going to pay much closer attention than if you're listening to a streaming service and an algorithm chooses the next song and doesn't set it up in such a way where you know anything about it. So that part, discovery, is really important. Surprise, pretty obvious. You know, you don't have any surprises on the playlist that you create, right? Because you chose them and you put them there. Not like when you punch into your favorite classic rock station and hear a song that you weren't expecting. That is an you know amazing feeling, right? And then and then companionship, you know, is something that none of the streaming services have and probably will ever have. You know, when I mean I, I met Wolfman Jack on the NBC tour when I was seven and knew at that moment, wow, this is amazing. I want to be on the radio and program radio stations. I've never wanted to do anything else. You know, and, and I think that the relationship that listeners have with their favorite personality is something that can't be recreated on television because on television, the only local people really are the anchors of newscasts and they're reading scripts, right? And, and, and actors and actresses are totally different in real life than they are you know, on their TV shows. 
even reality shows, right? They're paid liars. Right, of course. (laughs) And so the relationship that you have with your local talent, I say constantly to our team, uh, you know, and our talent, you know, think about the fact that, you know, how many times have you met someone uh, at, at a broadcast or a live appearance and they tell you something about yourself that you forgot you said on the air? Happens all the time. You know, and when we do things like Radiothon events where we're raising money for sick kids at a local hospital, I mean, that's really where our talent is relatable. And I like to describe them as the passenger, you know, sitting next to you in the car when you're driving to work. They're, they're just like you, but they're more informed and more entertaining. Well, it's fascinating. I mean, your take on sort of the landscape as it is now is very, very interesting. Where can people reach out to you if they want to get a hold of you, anybody listening to this? What's your preferred method of contact? They can email me. Um, they can check out iHeartRadio if you haven't downloaded the app. We're over 100 million downloaders. Actually, 100 million registered users, half a billion downloads at this point. And obviously, there's an iHeartRadio station in pretty much any city in America. So we'd love you to listen. That's right. Gosh, John, thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah, this is fun. And go Cats. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.